got a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Romans 1. And while you're doing that, I want to say a word of thanks to Luke and the young people and the young in heart in the back row uh, for uh, leading our praise so well today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Thinking today about gospel revealing our subject today. Prince Philip, the late Prince Philip, he described himself as the world's most experienced plaque unveiler. And in his almost 70 years of service to our nation, he did over 22,000 solo engagements. And in many of those engagements, he unveiled uh, plaques. Unveiled plaques which revealed certain stuff behind them. And the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals far more than even what Prince Philip revealed over all those years. The gospel reveals some things which are pleasing and pleasant, but other things which are quite challenging. And so today in the passage we're thinking, at beginning in verse 18, we're thinking particularly of what the gospel reveals to us. And the first thing we read about is wrath revealed in verse 18. And this is where it begins and is challenging. It says there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I remember when I was training for the ministry, uh, my minister, I had to be interviewed by my minister in Kirk Session. I remember one thing he said, he says that when it comes to the word of God, you're not the, sh the chef who makes the meal. You are the waiter who delivers what God has prepared. And so it's the minister's job just to speak about what God is saying here. And so this is something really which is challenging here. The word wrath in its normal use carries the idea of passion, of desire, of emotions being involved. We don't think of wrath as something that is cold or indifferent, but we think of wrath as something that's quite warm or probably very hot. And in regards to the wrath of God, it is often linked to fire. Fire is used to describe the wrath of God, and sometimes fire is used literally in so that his wrath would be worked out. But we need to be careful not to think of God's wrath in the same way as we would of human anger. We think of human anger as someone when they lose their temper, when they fly off the handle, when they get out of control. God's wrath is never like that. God is always controlled, and God's wrath never comes from him losing his temper. God's wrath is his settled opposition to all that is evil and his determination to respond to that evil in a measured way so that its punishment is fair and just. Think of the story of Jesus when he cleared the temple at the, towards the end of each of the Gospels. This last week when he came into Jerusalem and he cleared the temple of the money changers and those who were selling the doves and so forth for sacrifice. Now, the picture you get sometimes is that Jesus went in, he saw that scene, he just lost his temper and drove them all out in a fit of rage. But that is not actually what happened. If you read Mark's gospel, you read that Jesus came in on that Palm Sunday, he went to the temple in the evening where all the people who were selling had gone, but he looked around and he saw what was going on. And so when he came the next day and he cleared the temple, it wasn't that 
he was caught unawares, very surprised, and went in a fit of rage. He was very controlled in what he was doing as he drove out the animals and overturned the tables. We need to remember, you see, God is never surprised or caught out by what happens. He, he knows all that's going to happen. He knows the evil is coming, and his wrath is a planned and proper response to that evil. We're told a number of important things about God's wrath here in verse 18. First of all, God's wrath, it says there, is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. All sin has to be punished. God's nature, God's character is he can't just ignore even one sin. So every sin since the formation of this world will be punished. But then we are told that what causes his wrath here are two things, ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now these two things, they overlap, but the focus of these two things is a bit different. First of all, ungodliness. Ungodliness is the failure to reverence God as we should. It is a failure to give God the worship, the honor that he is due. So ungodliness is not respecting the person of God. Unrighteousness is the failure to reverence God's commands. It has to do with our morality. Our unrighteousness is when we fail to measure up to the morality that God requires of us. Some have thought that the first four commandments are particularly to do with ungodliness. Breaking the first four commandments, no other gods before me, making images and so forth, taking God's name in vain, that's about ungodliness. And then the next six are to do with unrighteousness. Now we see that God takes these sins of ungodliness and unrighteousness very seriously because of the wrath which God has displayed down through history. Think of Noah's flood. Think about how every single person in the world, except Noah and his family, were destroyed because of their wickedness, their ungodliness, their unrighteousness in those days. God killed all those people because of that. Or you think of the plagues in Egypt. Due to the sin of the Egyptians, how they treated the people of Israel and the refusal to let them go, the ten plagues which included the water into blood, the frogs, the insects, the boils, the death of livestock, the darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn sons, that was God's wrath being poured out against them for their ungodliness and unrighteousness. And it ended with their army being destroyed at the Red Sea. Or think of the story of Nadab and Abihu. These were Aaron, Moses' brother's sons. They were priests, but they went and they offered an unauthorized offering to the Lord. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and destroyed them. Think of the story of Uzzah. We're in the days of King David here. When the ark was being brought to Jerusalem, it was being put on the back of the cart, which was against God's rules. The cart started to rock. Uzzah put out his hand to steady the, the ark. And once he touched the ark with his hand, he was struck down dead instantly because it was ungodly. It was a lack of reverence for God and that which was dear to God. 
or we think of the cross. We think of how on the cross when the sky went black and Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath was being poured upon his beautiful son, his son whom he loved. But at that point, Jesus had taken upon himself the sin of his people. And when Jesus took the sin of his people upon himself, God the Father had no choice but to pour his wrath upon them. He who had no sin became sin, so we could escape the wrath of God. The final place where God's wrath will be displayed, and for everyone who doesn't come to Jesus, and for Jesus to have taken their sin upon himself, for everyone who doesn't come to Jesus, God's wrath will be displayed forever in that place called hell. A place of everlasting torment, described as a place of darkness, is described a place where the fire is never quenched. And so the wrath of God is something that's real. Yes, he's a God of love, God of mercy for those who come to him and turn to him. But he is this God of wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so wrath revealed is the first thing. The second thing we see here is God revealed in verses 19 to 20. Paul speaks at the end of verse 18 of people suppressing or pushing down the truth about God. And this leads on to what he now says in verse 19. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now God is the great revealer. And when it comes to knowing God, the gap between us and God is so vast because God is so large and we're so small. God is so pure and we're so sinful. That gap is so great, we can never know God except that God would step down to us and make himself known to us. And God makes himself known in two main ways. God makes himself known through what is called general revelation, which is in the creation in the world he's made. And he makes himself known in special revelation, which is through his son and the scriptures which speak about his son. Now, this general revelation in creation, it's spoken of in these words. And it's given that name general revelation because it is revealing God to everyone in this world who can see. And as Paul teaches in verse 19, the message is plain. In the world around us, there's a message going out to every person about God. Creation, Paul says, reveals God's invisible attributes. Now, we don't use that word attributes very often, but his attributes are God's wonderful qualities. Qualities which are hidden because God is invisible. But now in creation, the invisible becomes visible. The unseen becomes seen. God's qualities are put into display through the world that he has made. So if people want to know something about God, they need to look at the world around them. The world that God has made, it says so much. Now Paul goes on and explains this by saying that what is made known about God are his eternal power and his divine nature. Now we can easily think of how in creation, God's eternal power is displayed. 
the fact that God just spoke and all came into existence. He just spoke and the innumerable number of stars are cast into space. He spoke and the land was formed, the sea was formed. He spoke and all vegetation and all creatures came to life. So we can think of how his power is revealed in creation. You just look at this world, look at the stars. What sort of God is it who can just fire those stars into space? So the power of God is seen. But what about this divine nature that is revealed in creation? What is that talking about? Well, here we're thinking about God's hidden inner qualities, his great wisdom, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his truth. All this world that we live in, it's been messed up, but although it's been messed up by man's sin, still as we look around at the beauty of creation, we see the beauty, the goodness, and the wisdom that dwells within the heart of God by the world we see around us. Whether it's a beautiful sunset down at the coast, or it's looking out on a beautiful country scene, or looking at a, the scene of the, the mountains, whether it's considering the complexities of the solar system or how intricate and complicated the human body is, all of that has been made. Yells out with a loud voice, we have a creator who is glorious, who's majestic, who is good, who is wise, who is loving. The world that has been made in its beauty is reflecting what God is like in his heart in his inner being. So our eyes need to be open, not just to the, the wonder of creation around us, but to see beyond creation to the wonder of the creator who speaks so loudly through this world that he has made. Psalm 8 is a lovely psalm which speaks of this. You'll know this psalm, I'm sure well. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And what the psalmist is saying, when he looks at this world around us, when he looks at the stars and the sun and the moon, when he looks at this world, he suddenly realizes God is so vast and he is so small, like a little grasshopper before God. He says, what is man? What are human beings that you would even think of us? You who are so fast and so glorious. And so everyone in this world, Everyone who can see has this message that's going out to them from the world that has been made. There's this God who's so glorious, this God who's so wise, there's this God who's so good that you owe everything to. And it says here, therefore, people are without excuse. God is speaking through his world. And you know, it's sad, therefore, and it's not by accident that people try and take God out of the picture of the world through the theories of evolution and so forth. What they're trying to do and what the devil is doing through this is trying to hide the creator from people's view, to justify 
their position. And this leads to our final point, which is foolishness revealed. Wrath revealed, God revealed, and foolishness revealed in verse 21 to 23. Creation leaves all people without excuse about the reality and the existence of this God of glory. But what do people do with this knowledge of God? Well, the end of verse 18 we've mentioned speaks of mankind suppressing the truth about God. Mankind trying to blot out what the truth is. But this then continues in verse 21 and says, For although they knew God, they did not consider him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, mankind, in failing to respond to the clear knowledge of God that they had, in failing to respond in the right way, this meant that the thinking of people became futile. Their thinking was messed up. It was twisted. It was inferior because they've rejected God. It meant that the hearts of people were darkened, which means they were ignorant. They were closed to the light of God. Their hearts became evil and twisted. And one of the big problems with this darkening of their hearts is that people did not become humble with it, but rather proud and boastful. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And one of the biggest problems of being, about being a fool is when you don't realize that you are a fool. And this is one of the great travesties of modern humanity. They think they're so clever, so smart, so intelligent compared to other generations. We are the smartest people of all. But when it comes to the things of God, the Bible says so many are fools or ignorant to what the truth is, despite God revealing it to them in creation. You take something like the Big Bang, uh, this theory. Uh, something, uh, somehow something came out of nothing, or it came out of this tiniest little molecule. And somehow out of this tiny little thing, somehow the whole universe was formed. And somehow on this planet in the universe, life somehow began to exist by itself. And somehow out of a single cell organism, it had the intelligence to evolve into the, all the complex creatures, I wouldn't use the word creatures, different living beings that you see around us. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. If people took a step back and just looked at that theory and how that could happen without our creator, it is total nonsense. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Looking at a world that's so complicated, looking at creatures that are so complicated, to look at this and just to say, this just happened. It is absolute nonsense. Aiming to be wise, they became fools. Now Paul shares how this rejection of the creator then works out in people's lives. Verse 23 and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People darkened in their sin still had a, a remnant of their original state of where they were made in the image of God, to know God and to worship God. So mankind has this desire within them 
they've rejected God, but they still want to worship something, so they now worship these idols. And you know, we have moved on. If you think of the world out there, not many bow down to idols today, claiming them to be God. But each of us are guilty of worshiping the created things rather than the creator. We love the possessions, the money. We love the things of this world rather than the God who we're made to know, to love, and to serve. We were made to know and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but instead our love and affection is cast elsewhere. We've become twisted or we've become foolish. And we worship the things of this world instead of the God that we were made to worship. There are many different illnesses that people have, but I think one of the, the cruelest illnesses is the illness of depression. And one of the, the reasons why I find depression, I think it's so painful and so difficult, is that in other illnesses, your mind is not affected of how you think of things and how you think of things through and how you can respond and how you can get better. So if you have a very bad accident and severely damage your leg, your mind is unaffected. But the thing about depression and other mental illness, you're not able to think these things through in a straight way. And even the most basic of things you need to be encouraged and reminded of. It's the same with the problem of sin. Sin affects people that our minds are darkened, our thinking becomes futile, the word of God says. That we're not able to think things through in the right way. And so people think, I come okay, I live a decent life. Yes, there's that talk of God's wrath, but I'm all right. I don't need to worry about that. I'm a different person. I'm okay. And they're not able to see the true situation. They're blinded. There's like a cloud that's just hanging over them that blinds them to the truth of their situation. And so here's the big problem is that people are in a state where they're separated from God. They're under God's wrath. They're facing his judgment. But they can't even see it because their thinking has been so twisted by sin. Well, is there hope? In our foolishness, ignorance, and twisted thinking, is there hope? Look at this couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians 2. This is where hope is to be found when our thinking has been twisted. Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those spiritual. What Paul is saying is, and he goes on the next verse and says about how the natural mind cannot receive the things of God. We're so twisted by sin, we just can't accept biblical truth. But into our messed up thinking and world comes the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And what he does, he comes to people who think they're all right, who are blind to the danger that they're in, works in their hearts and minds and causes them now to see the truth about their sin and the truth about salvation in Jesus Christ. 
You see, that's why it is so hard to evangelize. Indeed, it's not hard to evangelize. It's impossible to evangelize by ourselves because people are blind and people will not understand or accept the truth. They could be the smartest person of all the degrees in the world, but they will not accept the truth because sin has so twisted their thinking. But then the Spirit of God comes and suddenly it's like a light going on. Suddenly they're aware of their sin and initially this is uncomfortable and they want to push it away. They want to shy away from it. It's a wee bit like, maybe you're at that stage. It's a wee bit like, I think I said in the devotions on Friday morning, we had a doctor here speaking one time and he spoke about door handle confessions where people come in, this is normally men, they come in and they talk about some minor problem that they have. And the doctor gives a solution and they get up to go away, their hands on the door handle, and then they say, doctor, there's just one more thing, and this is a real problem. This is a, something that's really been worrying them. But they haven't had the courage at the beginning to talk about it. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God begins to work in people's hearts. And maybe this is true of you. The Spirit of God is working in your heart, beginning to make you aware you are a sinner, you're not right with God, you need salvation. But you're like the person in the doctor's surgery, you're sitting there thinking, will I bring it up or not? I don't want to face this. You have to face it. And the Spirit not only causes people to see their sin, it then leads people to see that their only hope is Jesus, and the Spirit then works within them and brings them to trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So into a world where people are twisted and corrupted by sin and are foolish because of sin and can't see the truth, the Spirit of God then enlightens them and brings them to that truth. So as we finish, just to recap, what have we learned today? The gospel revealing. What does the gospel reveal? Wrath is revealed. God's wrath is real. God is revealed in the world around us. The wonder, the beauty, the power, the, the wisdom, the goodness of God. And foolishness is revealed. For those who resist God, who resist his hope and his salvation, resist the truth about who he is. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Believe what God says through his word and his spirit.